Thank you. Um, for a lot, for a lot, you know, I was so tempted just to like push away from any emotion. I really wanted to, but I'm finding it difficult to do that. Um, people sometimes ask, like, uh, where do you find spiritual formation as a pastor? Because oftentimes pastors will say, whatever my sermon prep is, that isn't part of my formation. I don't know how to separate the two. And so it's been a gift to be able to dig in every week because I don't know what it's like to be on your side of it, but on this side, I learn a ton. So thank you for that on many levels. All right. Enough of that. All right. Our passage for this morning from the lectionary is John chapter 12, and we are kind of in the church calendar moving towards Easter. And this is kind of a big pivot moment. John chapter 12, verses 1 through 10, it says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the, table, um, at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, which is expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her, with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, whom was later to betray him, objected why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what he put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you but you will not always have me. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Together we say, thanks be to God. So it says six days before the Passover. This story kicks off the week in Jesus' life or the last week of Jesus' life. Well, minus the resurrection part, but this passage is not about the resurrection. This passage is about the death and the coming death. The final week of Jesus' life makes up a small portion of his three-year ministry. It makes up, obviously, a smaller portion of his 33-year life. But the events of this week that this story is leading into will take up a disproportionate amount of space in the books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which were actually written about the life of Jesus. This is really important stuff that this moment is leading into. During the week before Passover, the city of Jerusalem transformed. It's like the Coachella Valley during the Coachella Music Festival or when the tennis tournament comes to town. The population swells. It was all going down on the week of Passover. This was crunch time for Jesus. Jerusalem swells with visitors from all over the known Jewish world of the time. And they came to, to offer sacrifices. 
That's why everyone came to Jerusalem. They came to offer sacrifices so that the spilled blood would symbolize the pardon and forgiveness of their sins. This week that they are about to move into is a really big deal even without what Jesus is about to do. So during this week, Jesus is going to take all of that meaning. Jesus is going to take all of that symbolism and he's going to make it about himself. He's going to give it all a new meaning and a new symbol. This is the beginning of the week that Jesus was going to do what he had to do. This is the beginning of the week that Jesus was finally going to do what he came to do. So on his way to Jerusalem, it says, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. It says, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived. That's a huge phrase, right? That's a really novel idea. Why? Because if you read just a little bit before this passage, it wasn't very long ago that Lazarus was actually dead. Like really dead. For days, he was dead. And Jesus gave him new life. That's noteworthy. Can you imagine what this must have been like for those like Mary, his sister, who loved Lazarus? The sorrow and the pain of a death of a loved one. And then a short amount of time, the joy and the mystery and the awe of the resurrection of the dead. All of this in a short amount of time. All that to say is in this room, there's some energy. In this room, there's some emotion in that house. The theme of death And this new idea of resurrection would have been palatable. It was thick in this passage. You can't miss it. And it says here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. It's interesting in that this dinner was not thrown in celebration of Lazarus coming back to life. Typically, we tend to celebrate big moments in people's life, right? Well, if you've been dead for a couple days and you come back to life, that's noteworthy. You should probably celebrate that. But that's not the case. It says this was in honor of Jesus. It was held in honor of Jesus. No offense to Lazarus at all. But Lazarus being alive at this moment, that had nothing to do with Lazarus. Lazarus on his own would still be dead. Martha served, and this was about Jesus in honor of Jesus, because Jesus has everything to do with new life. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with this fragrance of the perfume. Now I get it. I understand that a lot of us are pretty familiar with this passage, but I'm going to ask you to put aside the familiarity, put aside all the times that you've heard these words, and attempt to imagine this situation as uncomfortable as it must be. Whatever your background is, whatever your culture is, I think that it's really important to think about this. Can you imagine anyone watching what is going down in this passage, the pouring out of an expensive perfume on Jesus' feet and the wiping with the hair. 
I can't imagine anybody watching this go down and say, oh, that's normal. That's okay. There's no crossing the line here. This is acceptable. I'm sure in any culture, you would find something about this picture that makes you uncomfortable. But in that culture, it's often pointed out that Mary broke four social customs just in doing this. First, she let her hair down in a room full of men. Hair is a physical, prominent physical feature of a woman, anybody in fact. A woman's hair tied up is, communicates something different than a woman's hair when it's let down. This is something I'm seeing in my junior high daughter and her friends as they grow up. She's a part of a club volleyball team, and it's amazing. As soon as practice is over and there's a boys junior high or a boys volleyball team passing them up, the hair comes down automatically. I'm not sure what that's about, but it's instantaneous. There's something communicated there. They're figuring out that you can't do that. There's another value that was broken. She poured an incredible amount of really expensive perfume on Jesus' feet. Way more perfume that could ever be absorbed by Jesus' feet. Spilling on the floor. Completely wasteful. It appears to be wasteful, and that's quickly pointed out by Judas who's there. Another social barrier that she just kind of jumps past with two feet. Mary is a single woman. And she is touching a single man that did not happen back there. And it wasn't just a little bit. There was a lot of touching. This is an intense moment. Other gospel writers, they write about this too. And it seems that they're so uncomfortable with this situation that they don't put Mary as the one who's doing this. They bring in some random woman from the outside and she's the one who does this act. But she doesn't doesn't anoint Jesus' feet. She anoints his head. Another thing, another culture that was jumped past, she wipes Jesus' feet with her hair. This is uncomfortable. This is personal. This is very vulnerable and intense. It's hard not to read this passage and conclude that Mary was acting in a way that is wildly inappropriate. If you were watching the book of John on TV, as if you could do that, And if you were watching it, especially thousands of years ago, thousands of miles away, and this part of the Bible came up, I would imagine that this is the part of of the film that you fast forward so your kids wouldn't see. One commentator says, the story of Mary anointing Jesus' feet, it's sensuous. It's not sensual, but it's sensuous, meaning that there is a whole lot of imagery here. Some of it very physical which is not meant for us to wrap our minds around and understand. It's meant for us to be experienced. It's supposed to surprise us, to grab our attention, to move us. It's uncomfortable, yes, but it's also admirable. Here you have Mary, a strong woman in a culture that is designed for men, and she is sharing her most lavish gift publicly with Jesus for everyone to see while Jesus is alive. The men, they're afraid. They wait till after Jesus dies to share their gift, but they have to sneak up in the middle of the night so nobody sees them. 
Mary is incredible forward in what she's doing. Her actions are also a model of discipleship. One chapter later, we'll read the story of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. And he tells his disciples to go and treat other people like this. And here you have Mary somehow knowing what to do. And she is dumping perfume on Jesus' feet. Knowing that this is what you do for those you love. But in that moment, being careful to not offend people. To not jump past the cultural expectations, that was not on Mary's mind. She loved Jesus so much to let someone down because of their comfort. Letting comfort get in the way of her caring for her teacher, the one who had just brought her brother back to life. And she isn't going to let him die without an incredible show of gratitude. Barbara Brown Taylor, she said that whatever Mary thought about what she did, and no matter what anybody else thought about what she did, Jesus took this as a message from God. In fact, the Gospels tell us that Jesus said this story is going to be talked about for thousands, for whenever the Gospel is talked about. Jesus did not see Mary's action as a hysteric behavior of an old maid gone mad but the careful performed act of a prophet. The air, she writes, was dense with death. And while there may at first have been some doubt whose death this was related to, Mary the prophet revealed the truth. Mary's anointing of Jesus' feet, this is an incredibly controversial in any and all situations, except for one. The only time Mary's actions would have been acceptable and appropriate would be in the event that she was preparing a body for death. Mary let her hair down, controversial maybe, but not if you're in a room of women preparing a body for death. Mary poured out copious amounts of perfume on the body of Jesus Putting copious amounts of perfume on the body of someone who's, who's, who died, that's just what you did. Whatever rules about single women not touching single men, that was out the door when they were preparing a body for burial. Maybe, just maybe, what Mary is doing here is not wildly inappropriate at all. Maybe it's not controversial at all. Maybe she's doing the most appropriate thing heading into a week that at the end of it will be Jesus' death. She's preparing Jesus' body to die. In anointing the feet with perfume, the perfume that was supposed to be used for Lazarus' death, she's anointing a king, a king who in a week will be on a cross. And that is exactly the role that Jesus is stepping into for the following week. Because from that point on, he's moving towards his death. Palm Sunday, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, that was a counter-procession against the Roman procession into Jerusalem that took place every year. Publicly calling out an oppressive government, that will get you killed. In this case, on a cross. Flipping tables in a temple, pointing out that religion is no longer about loving God and loving others. 
publicly calling out an oppressive religious system, that will get you killed. In this, in this situation, death on a cross. Mary was either being wildly inappropriate or she was courageously and prophetically and humbling, setting the table of events that would take place over the next handful of days. The story continues, but one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed Jesus, objected. Why hasn't this perfume sold and the money been given to the poor? It's worth a year's wages. Not a bad argument. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what he put into it. Mary's action bothered Judas so much that he publicly calls her out for not being a wise steward to what God had given to her. But the truth is, as it points out, Judas didn't care about the poor. He just wanted to profit himself. But Jesus says in verse 7, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Jesus' statement about always having the poor among us, but not always having him. Many say, well, that, you know, that kind of gives us a little bit of freedom to not care so much about the poor, not trying to end poverty. And that's how some people see it, but others have a very different view, and they kind of use this context to, to, to talk about this. They invite people not to just take the words of Jesus and apply it into an agenda that is appropriate and comfortable for us, but to actually look at the context here that Jesus is talking. They're at a dinner table in the home of a leper, someone who is known to be poor. Jesus is making an assumption. He's saying, in effect, followers of Jesus, no, you will always have poor among you. You can't follow Jesus and not have poor among us. We're always going to have that. There's no other way to read the Old and the New Testament. We often get this wrong. Jesus clearly cares about and commands us to care for the poor. It's not a suggestion, it's a command. Mary did not come to this house in order to talk about how to best care for the poor. That's a really important conversation. But that's not what Mary is doing here. She came to worship and to show gratitude and love to Jesus. And she did it with intensity. She wanted to be so close to Jesus, the Messiah, the promised one, the one who just raised her brother from the dead and heals the sick, that she wanted to bow down and offer herself to him. Sometimes, in spite of our intentions, many of us get caught up in the work of the gospel and making the world right, but we forget to worship the one who actually told us to do that. We should care for the poor, and we should work for, and we should worship the Lord. It's both and. It's not one or the other. Oftentimes, when I get to the end of the sermon, kind of the application is more clear than others. As of this morning, I did not have an application for this passage. But I went to the aquatic center to say goodbye to the aquatic center. I'm going to miss it very much. But as I was swimming, I was reminded of something my, my wife says. My wife, she has a, a lot more evolved spirituality than I do. In fact, she'll say things years in advance that I'll remember years later and be like, oh, wow, 
that made sense. Yeah, that, this is one of those times. Just, she has this statement. She says, uh, remember and always be present to the real, to what is actually going on around you. Mary was present and honored Jesus in the real. Everyone else, and I don't even know how much Mary knew, but everyone else was not willing to accept the idea that Jesus the Messiah was going to die. Jesus was going to die, and it was going to be wrong on every single level. This is not a fair treatment of Jesus. But she was there, present, worshiping Jesus in all of the darkness. She honored, and she was present in what was really going on. And that's a beautiful thing. Because so often we just want to run from the difficulty, right? But because she was present to the real, it was the real, it was the death of Jesus that leads to the healing of the whole world. Without one, you don't get the other. You need death in order to have resurrection. I think one of the beauties of, you know, going to church on Christmas and Easter is that you get the best of both worlds, right? Right? but you don't have to deal with everything else. No offense. I mean, I'm saying, like, no, that's a good plan. <laughs> but if you're committed to it, you're good. you have to have both. You have to have present to the light of the world, but also to the darkness that shows us why we need light. I was talking to a friend who I was involved with his family, um, his daughters especially, years ago. And I, I caught up with him, and I was like, how are, how are your girls? And he's talking about them, and they're all doing fantastic. But one of his girls, um, she had a, a difficult time. And because of that difficult time, she's now in a helping profession where she's got a schedule full every day where she is helping people. It's a beautiful story. But as he's talking, you know, he kind of like pushed back, ran past the idea of the difficult time that I knew his daughter when I was, I was there during it. And we remembered that without the real in her life, without that difficult place in life, we don't need to run past it. We can honor that. It's only because of that time that it has been redeemed and now she is helping all kinds of young people who went through the same thing. I've had conversations with some of you who said, man, as you get towards the end of your life, you just want to think about, did I, did I live a life good enough? You know that example from that movie, Saving Private Ryan? I've heard it multiple times. Like The question is, did I live a life worthy? Well, the Christian answer to that is no, you didn't. But that's the real. And it's only in honoring the real and being present to the real that you ever need to repent and grab a hold of eternal life. Mary was able to honor Jesus in the real, where he was going to be treated unjustly, not because of anything she, he did. And she didn't run away from it. She was there with him and in, a, in the most lavish way. May that be true of all of us, especially heading into Holy Week. Easter is coming, but there's about two weeks where we have to deal with the fact that there's darkness in the world, 
And that's why we need light. May we honor the real. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.